89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton. And uh, from the organization and the website, notmycloset.com, I'm joined uh, via the wonders of Zoom by Karen Byman. How are you, Karen? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks, Clayton. It's wonderful to be having a chat to you. And uh, what I love about uh, what this radio station's about is that we are community. And uh, you actually contacted us. Often we go out and contact others, but you got in touch with us and said, hey, I reckon there's a few different topics you've been chatting about on the radio. And I think my story might be of uh, interest. And as we heard about it, we certainly uh, agree as well. Could you start by talking about what is Not My Closet? And then we might actually start with uh, really digging into that by going through your story. Yeah, no worries. Not My Closet is uh, realistically my counselling practice, but it's more than that because it's um, a voice on the website and all sorts of places. Um, for the partners of people who've been closeted LGBT, so, um, you know, I, I really work with people who've um, discovered by usually no, with no forewarning <laughs> that their partner was a closeted, you know, lesbian, gay, bisexual or transgender person. And uh, many of them actually have a church background. Um, and so I give voice to that and um, really offer support and counselling services for people who find themselves in that position. And also the children, the grown children who've had one parent come out and they're often sort of stuck in the middle, not quite sure how to make sense of any of this. So, yeah, the yeah. voice for all of that. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine that um, there's, it seems to be a rather sort of niche area to do counselling, but it would be a very important area, I would imagine, for those who are going through that. It, it, do people in that moment feel perhaps like there's not much support around? Is that fair to say? Absolutely, so much. Um, my theory is that as there's become an increasing acceptance of the LGBT community, which is great, um, that's caused people to not really be sure how to handle the straight or cisgender partner and kind of go, how do we make sense of this? How do we, you know, support them and the other? And and, and so the the straight partner, I, we, they're colloquially called straight spouses, but it's not really just that, but the partner of the LGBT person is often just left in the dark. They're left in a closet they didn't even know they were in. And, you know, they feel very isolated, very alone and unsupported. That's a very, very common experience, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, you did mention a little bit about church as well. And as we get into your story, um, does faith play, play a part in your life? Uh, yes, definitely. I've grown up um, in the church. I'm not an active church member at the moment. That, that's a very long story. Um, but it's, you know, faith has been very much a part of my life. Um, and we're talking Christ, Christian faith here. Christian faith, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk a bit of your story, uh, Karen. This, uh, you know, the reason you're a part of this, the reason you're counselling in this space and, and running this website and organisation uh, does intersect with your story. Could you, you share with us mm. what uh, your story is? Yeah, sure. No problem. So I married someone and, you know, back in the 80s, this was, and there was a song on the radio at the time, you probably know it, um, it's called It's Got To Be Perfect. It was a bit of a jazzy sort of song. And it was kind of like, you know, our song, which is really funny when I, in a sad sort of way, when I look back on it, because it was far from perfect. But I married someone who, you know, we'd been really good friends for five years. And, I, you know, when you think you really, really know someone, and then to find out 24 years later, after five children, that the person that you married, you didn't know at all. And um, so I was really quite blindsided. So yeah, I found out after 24 years that he was gay. There'd been a few little sort of indications and certainly, it had certainly not been an easy 
marriage, um, but, you know, that he was living with so much internalised shame and anguish, and I didn't know that. I didn't know what it was or what the cause of it was. So I was sort of left in a marriage that felt very much not perfect, and I didn't know why. And my faith and church sort of background there did play into that a little bit because there's a sort of this idea that you're supposed to be, you know, a submissive wife, you know, sort of um, loyal and all those sorts of things. And, you know, divorce wasn't on the agenda. It was like you're in it for life. It's a lifelong vow. And I, I didn't really know how to talk about this. I didn't know how to get support or help because I didn't even really know what the problem was. So when I really found out the actual truth after 24 years, it was really significantly disruptive to my life. We were also in the middle of moving into state. So I was sort of losing my entire support system, my family, moving to a new state. And once I became aware of the truth, he wasn't wanting me to talk about it or tell anyone because he wasn't ready to actually come out to anybody else. He had so much of his own stuff that he was working through. So then I was, I knew I was in a closet then and I couldn't speak of it. And I was in a foreign, oh, well, foreign state, Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that foreign, but you know. Um, yeah, so it was a very dark, lonely and very confusing time. Um, yeah. And we stayed together for another 15 months before um, he finally agreed to tell the children and and sort of come out um, and then we separated. So, yeah. yeah, it was a long way from perfect. <laughs> um, Karen, you've uh, agreed before we started the interview for me to sort of ask pretty much anything as we go through <laughs> it and, and we appreciate that. Can, can I start with a few of those questions? As sure. I'm intrigued as to how you actually did find out in the end. Um, is this a conversation that happens? Is this something that you bring up? Is this something that he brought up? How does that work? Okay, so there'd been hints at it um, a few years into the marriage and the lid was very quickly put onto that and it became a no-go zone. Um, and I was assured that it wasn't actually true. Um, then there'd been other things that had happened that had alerted me to there was something and I had my suspicions I suppose and so I did ask a number of times and I was every time told no it's not no 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 I'm not gay no 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 um so there was a lot of that and and again that's his story and I know that he was carrying a lot of you know anguish around all of that and I have, actually have a lot of compassion for that um but in the end it was an actual conversation which I think took a lot of guts um and I think what happened is that you know initially he thought it would the marriage would fix everything Unfortunately, he forgot to let me know that that was my job, was to fix the gay thing. I, I had no idea. Um, but he really and, did and think it would, you know. What yeah. did fix the gay thing mean? What, what, what did, what um, was from his perspective, what, what was that actually meaning? That was meaning that it would just literally go away, that this, these feelings and, and that sort of whole issue was something he didn't want at that time. He, he didn't have any kind of peace around it. And so the idea was that if you just marry a straight girl, everything will be better and you won't be like this anymore. And obviously that wasn't the case. And I guess one of my biggest regrets is that, well, firstly, that I wasn't told before we married so that I could actually make an informed decision around this, this whole wedding thing. Um, but then also that I wasn't told early on. And, and I think there was part of him that wanted to protect me from hurt. But unfortunately, the longer that lie goes on, the deeper the hurt and the more the pain and so by the time I found out the truth you know there was just so much of my life it felt like it had been stolen from me um, and I'd been living in this sort of like alternate reality that I had been so confusing and I just really I really suffered a lot of grief around that 
I, I do give him credit for having the guts to actually eventually, eventually speak up and actually have a person-to-person, face-to-face conversation, um, which was, you know, not easy, you know, for either of us. And it was, you know, about five seconds before we were moving into state. And that, that was his trigger, actually, to, to be forthcoming. His therapist said um, that I had a right to know before moving, but it was a bit, the ball was, the, uh, it was already in motion, yeah. the move. And, you know, so we went ahead with it. So. Yeah. Um, you said, you know, you've got a number of children as well. Yes. Um, that, there was 15 months, you said, from when you realised and understood mm. to when you actually told the kids and before it was sort of more public beyond that, can you, you take it, take us through what that means to sit down and, and tell children and, and oh. even if they're grown up, um, you know, this is something that I would imagine sort of tears at the understanding of who they, they thought their family was in one oh. sense. Look, that was really hard. One of the hardest parts of this for me actually was those 15 months of not being able to be honest with my children, um, lying, withholding the truth or whatever is so far from my value system that it was really tormenting to me um so it was a relief when he was finally willing to tell them and and I I knew that they were very aware that there was so much not good in our marriage and I didn't want them to think that's what marriage was I just wanted them to know the truth so that they could have that understanding but I also knew that knowing the truth would be difficult so we had one son still in New South Wales and three one of my children actually died just after birth so I had four living children um, so we had three with us in Victoria. They were 12 to 19 years old. So kind of interesting ages. Yeah. Um, so we called the New South Wales one down and um, the others all knew something was up then. <laughs> you know, when suddenly in the space of one day, this, their brother is brought down and we say we're having a talk after dinner and it's just like, oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, we, um, we talked to the older two first just because they were in, you know, a bit, bit more older teens kind of age. And, um, and we said to the younger two, you know, to go upstairs and wait, we, you know, have a chat soon sort of thing. And, and I got a text message, which I've now found out was actually an iPod message using the household Wi-Fi because we're talking a few years ago and my son was, I think, 13, didn't have a phone. But he sent me a message to his iPod that said, well, I guess you and dad are getting a divorce. Um, that's fine with me just as long as my life doesn't change at all. <laughs> this really classic 13 year old boy sort of stuff but um you know they knew they knew that things weren't great and it certainly answered some questions for them and you know I can't really speak for for where they sit with it now I know it hasn't been an easy journey for them but I I think they definitely had a right to know um the situation and and I do really feel for for kids when they watch you know one parent trying to you know come out and be themselves while the other one goes into this sort of darkness and pain and and they're sort of sitting in the middle of all that and um it's it's certainly quite challenging yeah um karen we're going to come back in in a couple of minutes time as we talk a a little bit more about what happened for you beyond those moments because as you said it it sort of it really is the starting point in a in a a way for for the next stage of life And, and also the fact that as you've run not my closet that the thing that i've been um incredibly um I'm not quite sure what is impressed perhaps is the right right or the wrong word with <laughs> that um, your heart here is not to simply just go and completely take sides and divide mm. people out, but to actually try and understand and support people, um, all of those people within this situation. And yeah. I think that's something that you have done really well. So I want to explore that with you next. You're right to hang around with us. 
Yep, not a problem. Fantastic. Karen Byman is my guest. She's from notmycloset.com. And we're chatting to her here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. 89.9 The Light. You're in conversation with Clayton. And Karen Byman is my guest. She's from notmycloset.com. We've been hearing a bit of her story. And if you're just joining us at the moment, Karen talked about the fact that she had a marriage for 24 years, a number of children from that marriage as well. And even though there were some signs along the way, it wasn't until that time where uh, her husband said, yep, I, I am actually gay. And that then ultimately meant that the uh, marriage dissolved as we went through there. Um, Karen, we've talked a bit about that moment for you. And even though there were signs that it made some clarity um, and then talking to the kids as well and the difficulty of that, as well as the relief that it does occur in, in a sense of there's sort of a conclusion to one part. As you mentioned as well, the next stage tends to be for the person who's coming out that this is now something open for the first time for them. It feels like there's a relief. And yet for the person in the marriage who uh, is the straight one, as you said, is now in that situation where suddenly all the darkness is there and, and this is now questioning everything. And, and there is now a battle that they didn't choose that suddenly they're going through as well. Could you take us through a bit of those first months and maybe even to the first year or so after that time for you and your family? Wow, they were really, really hard times. I, you know, <laughs> um, you're right. He, as as the um, you know the LGBT person comes out, um, often you know it's not an easy journey either. But there is often a lot of celebration, and it's very mixed. But for me, from my perspective, you know, it was really devastating, beyond devastating. I, I it just shattered my whole worldview, my ideas about marriage, my thoughts about the church, about all sorts of things. It, it was just so, so confusing. And at the same time, I was, well, there was that initial 15 months when I was going through this without the children knowing what I was going through. That was really difficult because I felt really, it was incongruous. I was just, I'm a very honest person and, you know, have a close relationship and I was holding this secret. Um, I really found that extremely challenging. Um, eventually, I, um, the first person I spoke the words to is my GP and um, you know I just burst into tears <laughs> and um, you know uh, that was um, a relief I suppose but but realistically it was it was really complicated by I'm a fairly empathic person well probably very empathic I think and so I was aware that my husband was going through his own torment and I was aware that my children initially didn't know and then they did know and were confused and I in a way I sort of lost myself I it's really easy to just sort of you kind of hold this space for everybody else. And and what would happen would be that if I would really go into the darkness, I suppose, and the, the anguish, and it was really difficult for me to connect to my anger. It was a uncomfortable sort of emotion for me, but the hurt was very, very much there. But as I would explore that, then my husband would sort of could see the effect on him and he, he would sort of become more anguished. And so then I would sort of like pull it back and it was just a really, really difficult sort of, time and um, it was actually in my own therapy where I was able to finally have a voice and really express that stuff that I had no other real safe space to go I'd also found an online support group which was great um, a lot of venting and stuff like that happens there but it, it, yeah in my therapy I was able to have a, a non-judgmental ear and that sort of time that was carved out in a week which was um, absolutely a lifeline but um, 
it is a very, very confusing time trying to make sense of it all and, and find your way through this maze. There's sort of no roadmap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how long ago was this, Karen, that this occurred, that moment? Uh, of, 2013. 2013. Yeah. Yeah. Um, since then and of the past few years, um, you've decided to start Not My Closet and, and deliberately yeah. uh, create a support place for those who may find themselves in a similar situation to what you and your family found yourself in as well. Um, and we mentioned earlier on, it, it's done with an incredible amount of care and love to all parties, uh, mm-hmm. but it is actually that support place for those who have found that their partner is coming out as LGBT. Um, yeah. Take us through the decision to actually um, go effectively public with that in that regards, because <laughs> I'm guessing, you know, it means you end up doing things like this and telling your story again. <laughs> and there's moments where yeah. you can't just, okay, I'm just moving on with life. It, it, it has yeah. to go back and, and delve through. Why did the decision to do that? I guess the decision was based on the fact that there is just so much need and it's so difficult to find professional support from someone who gets it. Um, I heard a lot of horror stories really of, people who went to therapy and were told, oh, we know you should just support your partner and, you know, you should just accept this. And, and this, and I'm shocked still that any therapist would say that. Um, but, you know, I just, I saw so much need, you know, um, it, it became something, it felt like something that I couldn't not do. <laughs> it, it, you know, the, the passion is pretty strong for it. And um, I, I've always wanted to make a difference in the world, I suppose. I didn't know what that would look like initially. And I, you know, had big dreams um, over the years of lots of different things but this is the one that has just really resonated with me and it's felt like it's become my life's work and and it helps me in a way it helps me create meaning out of the mess I found myself in as well which is um becomes a bit of a silver lining I suppose yeah, yeah. um what's been the, the I suppose the take-up of this uh, support and and I mean, certainly not asking you to share people's names, but um, <laughs> any of the stories, I suppose, of, of the impact of the work that you're now doing? Yeah, well, look, yeah, obviously there's a confidentiality. I can't say anything specifically, but people do do speak of the value in, in being able to talk to someone who understands that, so that they're not just getting... Um, you know, professional therapeutic support, but they're getting it in a way that has lived experience behind it. Um, you know, lived experience counselling is a thing. <laughs> um, and, and it's not for the faint-hearted because you've got to be able to manage all your own stuff and um, bracket that and do your own work as well as providing this for them. But I think the benefits um, are pretty significant that people do really appreciate that sense of, of sort of this container in which they can heal and recover with someone who doesn't just get it in a professional sense, but in a really deep, empathic way. Yeah. Um, Karen, uh, there's been a lot of conversations, especially this year in Victoria, around mm. various bills that have been passed in Parliament that, that talk into the, uh, the, the worlds of those who are, are living LGBT. Um, your perspective on some of that from, from living uh, in in um, you know, community, in family, with someone who is going through a situation of trying to understand, what's your reflection as you, you hear about these bills and, and the various conversations that are happening in the community now? Well, <laughs> how many hours do we have? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, look, I, I have a lot of my own thoughts. I, I've, I guess I've, I've seen the harm that's been done um, by people who've been given a message that they are not 
okay in who they are. And I've seen the impact that that has on them. You know, I've sat with um, an old friend who she's a you know a lesbian woman who had a faith conversion experience, as in became a Christian, I suppose, for want of a better word, um, as a gay woman, and then felt that she couldn't reconcile those. So she kind of like gave it up and tried to do the straight thing. And, you know, in the end, I remember saying to her, you know, the, the people that I hang out with, they really accept people, whatever, you know, who you are sort of thing. And she said, but if they can't accept me being fully who I am, it doesn't feel like love. It still feels like I'm shamed because I, I'm, I can be gay, but I can't be gay fully. <laughs> and so I guess I just see that these laws can be made and so on. And, and the idea is to protect or, and ensure the well-being of people. And I think, you know, the Victorian um, law that got passed, there was some big concerns about it because it can come with jail time for someone who does conversion therapy. And the, the description of that, when I read it, sounds a little confusing, a little bit ambiguous, perhaps. And so, you know, I'm not going into the legalities of it. I'm not, I don't know enough about it. But my main, my main takeaway, I suppose, is that this stuff matters and there needs to be protection in place so that all people can live authentic lives and all people can feel that who they are is okay and that there's acceptance and that they can't be taken advantage of. And I think um, I'm actually doing a survey at the moment of people who've been affected um, by this experience and have got a faith or church background. And it's come through pretty clearly that many of their partners felt really affected by the teachings in, you know, the church about, you know, homosexuality is a sin or, you know, you can pray it away, those sorts of things. And, and what's happened is they've gone along with that and they've married this straight person, often in good faith, it will be okay. But the damage is so extensive. And for the straight cisgender, I have to add that in because some of the people who come out are transgender. So cisgender is obviously the opposite of that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for them, the harm is so, so significant. And it is partly affected by these practices around conversion therapy that have happened in the past. But even beyond that, just some of the, the teachings. And again, I'm not, a, I'm not a theological scholar. I'm not going to speak to any of that. But what I do know is that the impact is very real and the collateral damage of the, the straight partner is something that needs to be acknowledged, I think. Yeah. From notmycloset.com, it's uh, Karen Byman. She's having a chat to us this evening on In Conversation. We're going to be back in a couple of minutes' time, and I want to uh, keep exploring a bit more of Karen's story. We're going to talk specifically around um, how does she reconcile her Christian faith and the, the strengths and the, the growth of that over the past few years uh, since this moment back in 2013 and how are the kids now going as they've grown and they're, they're more pushing into adult life as well um, so many years on too what's the impact there we're going to hear more of her story on the way next on 89.9 The Light In Conversation with Clayton 89.9 The Light you're in conversation with Clayton and from the website notmycloset.com and that organisation Karen Byman is with us, uh, talking through her journey and now um, the organisation that she's running, helping those who have had a partner who has come out as LGBT and then um, the impact that that has on the person who is sort of, you know, choosing still in the marriage, but obviously more often than not, a marriage will split after that incident as well and the impact that it's having on family life. Karen, you've talked about the fact that uh, for you, uh, you have a Christian faith that is something that is important to you. Um, can you take us through what what has happened 
to your faith understanding, to your faith life over the past eight years since this occurred for you, for you and your family? I think for me, <clears throat> one of the most significant things is that I've separated uh, faith from church quite a lot. Um, <clears throat> so I've you know I've seen the the church as a sort of a as a structure, um, and you know some of the teachings that have had impact on these marriages happening in the first place, and then people feeling like they can't leave the marriage because of you know teachings around divorce or whatever. And each church is different. There's lots of different things there, um, and I've, I've sort of extracted out of that the core essence of um, faith and Jesus and so on and what he stood for and stands for and, and the, the values and um, principles of, of um, his teachings as compared to sort of the religious sort of side of things. I haven't really quite been able to reconcile um, how I feel really, I think, about the, I guess, the institution of the church, so to speak, um, but the essence of, of faith and um, the, that the source of strength and hope that, that, that can be there and acceptance and love and forgiveness, those things ring true for me. Mm. Um, and, yeah, quite, two quite separate things. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, often I might talk with people who uh, talk about the religion or whatever else it might be of Christian faith and say, I know this seems strange, but it's actually a relationship. This is actually a relationship mm. with Jesus. Is, is that something that ha has been uh, close to you, that you feel like you have got a stronger relationship with Jesus during this time, or is that... Uh, due to all of what has occurred, that it's it's um it's sort of a, a a faith aspect rather than relationship as much. Yeah. Um. Well, how honest should I be on? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, you, look, you it's fine. <laughs> my my faith took a battering um, when my baby died actually back in 1995 on a Sunday morning while the church prayed and he got airlifted. 500 meters or less, you know, and then died basically in the helicopter. Um, that was a really big challenge for my faith. And um, we ended up living in a Christian community after that, which was um, called Cornerstone Community out in the New South Wales Outback. And that was part of kind of like reconciling faith and, and kind of making sense of things. In the journey that that was, it sort of took me out of the church in a way, because living in a, an intentional community where you sort of like, you know, it's just daily life and it's, it's really all of life. I would go to Sunday services and it would feel really disconnected from all of that and it felt really shallow to me. And I, I to be absolutely honest, I've never really quite gone back there fully. It, it sort of, it shifted my focus a bit, which is perhaps not really something that some of the listeners might want to hear, but it's just sort of where I'm at with things at the moment. And it's an ongoing journey um, in terms of that. But I think the relationship aspect, that's the thing um, that, that underlies it all. Um, one of the things that happened when my baby died actually was that this is completely off topic really, but was, you know, people say, oh, do you still believe in heaven or something? And I'm like, I can't not. So the faith is, and the relationship is a lifeline. Um, for some people it can be um, not that, but, but it, it is that for me underneath it all, I think. Yeah. yeah. I'm still making sense of it. It's not a, it's not a, um, there's no full stop at the end of that sentence. Yeah. Uh, I think we, we, far too good generally in churches in um, trying to create perfect little sentences that have nice full stops. Yes. Um, <laughs> often, we, we don't allow the dot, dot, dot and the working outs of it. Um, mm -hmm. And and that's something that I think is, is a challenge for a lot of us yeah. as we walk through. And so thank you for being honest about that, Karen. We do appreciate that. 
Um, I am fascinated also about uh, what it means for children. You talked yeah. about the fact that, you know, you had kids from anywhere from, I think, it was sort of like 12 to 19 at the time that you actually talked to them about the fact that your husband was now coming out as, uh, yeah. as a, a gay man and, and saying, look, this is going to change forever. That was, you know, eight years ago or so. Um, what, what has it meant for them as they have gone through this process? I think we can too easily just focus back there on that one moment and not... Yeah. Not acknowledge what that's going to mean for for a child as they process and work through things. Doesn't matter what age. No. How is life now for for your children? Um, well, yeah, life goes on. I think um, you know certainly in the early days it was it was very current and topical and and very much in the foreground for them. But as time's gone on, um, we've sort of settled into this new normal, I guess. Um, you know, obviously, I still have two living at home with me and two who are well, one's up in the floods <laughs> and the other one's actually um, in, still in Melbourne studying social work. Um, and, you know, they're making sense of it in their own way. Uh, I don't envy them the journey, to be honest, because I think, um, look, one of my regrets, I think, was in the, in, in the initial phases that I was so tormented by my own pain. It was, I didn't stop and think enough. Even though I was trying to be supportive for them, it was difficult to hold both. And I wish in a way that I'd encouraged more for them to get outside help because, you know, I'd often been their support person, but I, I couldn't really be that for them in this experience as much as I wanted to be. And so I, I had to learn, I think, to hold back from being as open about my journey with this because it involves their father and they have a right to have the best relationship possible you know, with their father. Um, and that, and I've had to really separate those things. So I can't even really fully speak too much to exactly where they're at with all of this at the moment because I learned to um, let it be their journey, to be their mother and to have relationship with them in, in their lives. But we don't talk about their dad so much because that's not my role. That's not yeah. my place. And I've really learned um, to have better boundaries around all of that. Um, they're all thriving, though. They're doing well. <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Karen, uh, you know, it's sort of like the absolute thing you're not supposed to do as an interviewer, but um, I'm going to do it for, the, for this interview. <laughs> and, and that's that's throw it open really wide and not actually open a specific question. The, the, the aspects I suppose I'm wanting is, is there something that somebody who's listening right now uh, really needs to know about your story or about what you're, the work that you're doing that um, we haven't talked about yet. Like we said, this is like interviewing terribleness. You're supposed to ask a specific question, but I just feel like this is what I should be asking at the moment. Is there something that we need to understeer, understand and know that if we, we're not gone through something that, that you've gone through? Well, I think I, I would like to really invite people to really create space in their hearts and their minds for the experience that I'm talking about. For most people, it's so far off the radar. There's a lot of emphasis on LGBT issues as there should be. You know, there's been a lot of harm done over the time about all of that. Because of that though, you know, the, the partners are often just left in the shadows and it's really dark and lonely in there. Um, I, I speak up for that, but a lot of people in this scenario can't, I couldn't put my own name to it for years. It's partly why I created the name Not My Closet because I couldn't put my name to it. It was a really big deal when I, I created the email address Karen at Not My Closet because it's like, oh my goodness, I'm telling them my first name. 
you know, so like I really hid behind that initially because it's really hard to speak of because you're speaking someone else's story as well as your own and, and I'm very aware of that and I'm trying so hard in this interview to be very sensitive to that, that there's someone else involved in all of this and I don't want to cause any sort of shame or harm to anybody else. But, yeah, I just don't want to encourage people to remember that there's two parties here and children. So, um, you know, as I was saying to you before, when my, when my own husband came out on Facebook, you know, we had many mutual friends and, you know, I was just sort of just off in the shadows. No one thought, well, one person thought to check in with actually, oh, Karen, how are you? It's just like there's this, there's this emphasis on accepting the person who's coming out and that's great. But please don't forget, if they've got a partner, that person is really most likely devastated and struggling and really, really needs your support. Um, and you can hold space for both. That's the message, I think. You don't have to take sides, that both stories matter and both people and their children. There's a lot of wounded people in this scenario. There's, there's not really initially any winners, and, um, but there can be. We can win, but it really helps if we're seen and heard and acknowledged. Karen, it's been a, a joy to uh, be able to have a chat to you, even though uh, as you've gone through it, we, we can see some of that, um, you know, digging up what, what is of the past and they're not fantastic memories at times, but mm -hmm. the willingness to say, look, I do want that future, the, the great future for, for people who may be going through that. We, we see your heart shining through on that. So thank oh, you so good. much. <laughs> we really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you so much, Clayton. Karen Byman, she is from notmycloset.com having a chat to us here on 89.9 The Light.